so much for being here. Wow. And some of you are in very uncomfortable places, right? You're in the front row of the main auditorium today, right? I'm like, what are we doing here? Try to stay awake. Okay. If you're a guest here today because your church uh, was a wuss and canceled. No, I'm just kidding. Totally understand that, right? It's like, um, but if you are a guest here today and you're, you go to another church, thank you for, for being here and, and we're glad you're part of it today. But you need to go back to your church and uh, make it good, make it great. You're not our audience today and, uh, and all, but, uh, but really, truly, we're in the middle of a message series called Unfinished and we're talking about a pro, uh, an initi- initiative that we are doing for the next two years. And uh, next weekend is Commitment Sunday and we're gonna pledge a bunch of money for this uh, project. And so if you are here from another church, you, you have to give. So, <laughs> just if you attend once. Right? I suppose, if, um, you know, because you, you do, you trust, you, you trust the, the meteorologist folks, you know. And what I've decided is that the, the weather forecasting is, was a lot like the Husker football team. A lot of hype, but not a whole lot of action. Yeah, this is a rough crowd. <laughs> like, what? My prediction next year, we will have game day here for the Ohio State game because we'll be both undefeated and we will beat them. That's my prediction. And uh, I'm never wrong. <laughs> ask my children. So I can't wait for Kirk Street to be in Nebraska. Most of you don't know my history with Kirk, but it's, it's a painful, painful story. All right. If Jesus was here, uh, I, I think he'd probably look around and he'd say these words to us. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Every farmer knows that. Most Nebraskans know that. We're not in charge of the harvest. We're in charge of planting and we're in charge of harvesting. We can do both those things, but we have nothing to do really at all with the harvest. God has that, right? So it's up to him how that works, right? So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Because we know, again, here at harvest time, it is massively crucial. We get the crops in, uh, you know, immediately. Like, when they're ready, we got to get them in. Because if they sit out there too long, or, uh, or if, if a hailstorm comes, all that stuff could be lost in a moment. And that's why the hum of a, uh, of a combine is a constant sound in, in our communities at harvest time. As farmers are working way into the night, to get the crop in because now is the time. Now, no farmer worth anything takes vacation to Cancun right now. Now, they will in a little bit when they get it cashed in, right? Let's go. But at harvest, it's all hands on deck. Now is the time. We do not have a moment to waste. So here's Jesus looking around and he sees the farmers in the field and he says to the followers, now's the time. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out 
as lambs among wolves. Now is the time. So Jesus is going to send 70 people out into the communities. And their job is to get the word out that Jesus is here and the kingdom of God is near. He had already sent out 12. He had sent his disciples earlier and they were to do the same thing. Tell the message. And now he's sending 70. And it's quite possible that Luke, the, the author of this gospel, is trying to let us know uh, a connection between Jesus and Moses because Moses had 70 elders. And so here's a connection. It would have been every, every, every Jew would have gone, oh, whoa, connecting the dots with Moses, are we? But also, the, in the first century, they believed that there were 70 countries in the world. They didn't really know much outside of that, and they really believed that that was the entire world. It's quite possible that Luke is making a connection between uh, the 70 being sent out as realizations that we're going to begin the campaign to reach the entire world. I think Jesus would say to us today in Omaha, Now's the time. The harvest is ready. We need more workers in Omaha and in Fremont and in Millard and in Benson and throughout our state and all over the world. We need to do this now. So the crew that Jesus sends out has great reports. They come back. They're high-fiving each other. This was great. We, we saw incredible things that take place and lives changed and miracles done and, and people healed. And the, I mean, it was an amazing harvest season. But not everybody was happy about the harvest. Some religious folks weren't real happy with Jesus. They didn't like the success and the attention and the crowds and the results they were losing their influence. So this happens in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Most, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the um, versions would say a lawyer. A lawyer stood up. We might say a news reporter, Right? He's looking for a gotcha moment. He's trying to trick Jesus. He's trying to get him to mess up, to say something stupid or irrelevant or ridiculous. He wants to catch Jesus and make him look like a fool because the harvest is great right now and we want to put an end to it. So this lawyer stands up and asks him one question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a great question, right? I mean, if you have one question to ask Jesus, what would you ask? We'd probably blow it on lottery numbers. Hey, uh, Jesus, can you help me out? Uh, or who shot JR? like to know that one. Or, uh, you know, will the Huskers beat Ohio State? You know, we want, most of the time, like we have one question, right? Like, will the Cubs win again in my lifetime? We want to know these irrelevant things. But this guy asked this crazy question. Now, I don't think he was looking for an answer. But if I was standing before Jesus, I'd probably be like, what do I need to do to go to heaven? Great question. So Jesus replied, and he knows, he knows the game here. Okay? He's not stupid. He knows what's happening. 
So he says, he, asks, he doesn't answer the question, he asks a question. What does the law of Moses say, smarty pants? That's in the Greek. I don't even know. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Expert in the law. You should know this. Everybody knows this. You don't even have to be an expert in the law. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Do this and you will live. And you can kind of get a sense that Jesus kind of just turns his back and is done with him. This should be enough. Let's move on. You really don't want to truly know the answer. The guy goes, who is my neighbor? Now, most of us know this story, even if we're not much into the Bible, we know the story of the Good Samaritan. So Jesus tells this amazing story. A Jewish man is traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he's attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. That was a, that was a common occurrence. Jericho, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was known as a bad place. You didn't want to travel there alone. And uh, so everybody's kind of nodding like, yep, I know the guy, or I you know, totally get that. By chance, just by chance, a priest came along, perhaps the hero of the story. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the, to the other side of the road and passed him by. Well, that doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense. Why would he just pass him by? Temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Well, that, again... Why would, they, why, would, why would a person who's supposed to fulfill the law of Moses do that? Interesting. Then a despised Samaritan. And, and Luke, the writer here, throws that in for our benefit. It wasn't for the first century Jews' benefit that a despised, right? Every Samaritan was despised. And every Jew despised the Samaritans. This was not, like, he's not putting it in there for their benefit, he's putting it in for our benefit because we didn't know, right? We don't know. But a Jew would not, in fact, uh, uh, the Samaritans mostly were uh, people who had intermarried. So a Jew married a Gentile and they had babies in, and, uh, in, and that was kind of it. And so, um, and, and so that, that's why the Jews didn't like them because they were unclean. They were pure. They weren't pure Jews. And so they had their own section, right, in Samaria, and that's where they lived. Most of the time, Jews would not walk through Samaria. They walk around Samaria, but they wouldn't go through. And uh, that was just common. They, you know, they didn't want to taint themselves. They didn't want to come in contact with Samaritans because they worshipped wrong and they were ethnically different. So a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and banished them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. People are like, what? 
is happening here? A Samaritan caring for a Jew? Spending the night helping him? Here's the zinger. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Um, the, the one who showed him mercy? Yep. Go and do likewise. Basically, what Jesus was telling the folks there that day Go be the Samaritan. Go be the Samaritan. See, last few weekends we heard the marching orders from Jesus when he says, go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria? What? And then to the other most parts of the world. So Jerusalem was no big deal. The Jews, no, that's not a problem. The disciples, we got Jerusalem covered. We can do this. That's not a big deal for us. Judea, okay. And when persecution began to break out, the Christ followers scattered around Judea. All right. And then some of them moved even out farther than that. But for the most part, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They weren't fulfilling the direct orders from Jesus to go into all the world. They were stuck. They were stuck in Jerusalem. They weren't leaving. Even, at, even when persecution came, which was to scatter them out. For the most part, the leaders of the way were just stuck in Jerusalem. So Jesus had to tap somebody else on the shoulder. The Apostle Paul. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So every Jew would have interpreted that as, Jews should love Jews. We'll take care of each other. All right. But Jesus begins to blast a hole in the law and saying, well, no, 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 no. This is, this is really for everyone. This isn't, you know, hey, let's love each other if we look like each other or if we have religion like each other or we have the same, right? This is, this is for everyone. So he taps a man named Paul on the shoulder. In Acts chapter 9, verse, eight, uh, verse 15, the Lord says, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. It just took a while. I don't know why the disciples stuck, stayed so long in Jerusalem. I Actually, I have an idea. I have to. It took me a long time to realize that the gospel was for everyone. I grew up in an uh, average middle class home. My dad was a preacher. We had a nice church. I didn't really know anybody. I mean, uh, there was one person of color in my high school. And, okay, I, I just, that's just where I grew up. Uh, so culture was, other cultures and other races and other things, that, uh, I, wasn't just, I wasn't exposed to that. When I went to Bible college, uh, we went from one to two in, in my entire college. People of ethnic background, different backgrounds, all that kind of stuff. It just wasn't a part of me. 
And I had heard missionaries talk about stories. You know, we'd have them come to our church and talk about these exotic things and different stuff. And here's what I thought. That's great for you. Not for me, though. That's just not me. That's, that's you. You, you. Crazy people do that. Crazy people go do mission stuff. That's right? <laughs> like, and laugh in, at, when nobody else does. No. <laughs> So crazy people do stupid stuff like that, right? They go all over the world. But us normal people, we'll just love our neighbor if he looks like me and talks me and acts like me and and worship God like me. And we we can do that. And when I moved to Arizona, it was kind of the same way uh, in in the community I lived. Uh, It was predominantly uh, governed by uh, a religion that didn't really have much to do with with, uh, African-Americans. And so there wasn't really any of that stuff in my neighborhood or anything like that. Um, in Arizona, we voted against Martin Luther King Day. I mean, we, it was just that predominant. So I didn't, it, it was hard for me to get my head around the fact that gospel is for everyone. In the church I worked at, um, the youth ministry had gone and done some stuff in Mexico and built houses in Tijuana. And so when I became the youth pastor of that church, that was just the tradition. I began to do that. And I remember uh, crossing the border into Tijuana, and the smell just was like, oh. I never smelled anything like that. And I couldn't get my head around that. And it was just, and then uh, we were to paint a, an orphanage one day, which is really stupid, right? And it's like, let's send high school kids to paint an orphanage in Mexico. You know what high school kids paint? Each other, not the orphanage. So we did that with, by the way, oil-based paint, which if you know what that means is that we had to uh, clean ourselves up with uh, gasoline and turpentine and stuff. So it was, it was a lovely experience. And I remember being at this orphanage and it was a lot of poverty, it was massive poverty stuff. And this little kid comes up to me and holds his hands up and the Mexican kid, he, and so I was like, I, I picked him up and he smelled of urine so bad. I was like, oh. And all of a sudden, I began to realize that this was the face of Jesus. This was, this was who I was supposed to, this is why I was supposed to be there. Because Mark Chitwood had to get past his prejudices and see the face of Jesus in a lot of these people. Now, I had been taught by an amazing missions professor. His name was Sandy Sandell. He was he was a Green Beret fighter. He fought in, the, in, in the Vietnam, and he was in bad places most of the time. In fact, he told me that he was in places where the government said we weren't. And, uh, and Sandy came back and ta- taught uh, cross-cultural missions to us, and all of a sudden, boom, light bulbs started happening, and I began to really grasp this thing. And, um, but I don't really truly remember anything that Sandy Sandell taught me except when he left Nebraska Christian College, he went back to Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia and became a missionary and did medical work there. And I thought, how in the world is that possible? Because a few years ago, all you want to do is kill him. And now all you want to do is save him. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. And I think I'm supposed to be doing stuff like that. 
So we begin to build houses in Mexico. One of the things I love about Stonebridge Christian Church is that every year we, we take people to Mexico and we build houses. And we should be doing that stuff. It should break our hearts every single time. And we should totally get after that. And I'm glad we do. And many of you have been multiple times to Mexico. And we've built dozens of, church, uh, of houses down there now. And glad that we're a part of it. A few years ago, in fact, four years ago, in, uh, in fact, I saw it on my Facebook feed this morning, a, a little pop-up that I was in Ecuador, and there's a picture of a little girl there that I had seen and took a picture of and, and posted on Facebook. And, and uh, that trip messed me up so bad because I remember the first night I was there, and we're in this really beautiful hotel, and they, they put us in this nice spot, and I look out the window for some dumb reason. It was like 12.30, 1 o'clock in the, in the morning, and I look out, because we were just were getting there, and I looked out the window, and I see this woman digging through trash right there at our hotel. Digging, right? She's just digging in the trash. What is going on? And the weird thing was that, so then I, I, I began to pray, ask Jesus, like, is this why I'm supposed to be here? And in the next morning, I look out, and everything had been cleaned up. The people had come and cleaned up with the trash, as if it never had happened. As if it never had happened. Because we don't want to see that stuff in our town, our community, at a nice hotel. We just don't want to see people digging through our trash, right? And we drove out to this community, Santa Elena, and I'd never seen poverty like that. And came back here, and we talked about the fact that we need to, we need to start a church in Santa Elena. We raised $80,000, $100,000, I think, in the on a Christmas offering and built that building and now filled it up with a couple hundred kids with Compassion International. It's one of the proudest things I've ever been a part of. My only regret, I think it took me 16 years to do that. I'm sorry. And then a couple years ago, we went to India. And that one really messed me up as well. It's just unlike in any place in the world. And we partner now with an incredible ministry. And, and so one of the initiatives that we are doing here is partnering. Not only are we going to build a, a new campus here, a, a big building here to, to house the, the folks that are coming to church here. We really truly believe that that will impact thousands and thousands of people. Way past my uh, tenure here. Way past. And then at our campus in Benson, as we open up a brand new campus and hundreds of people will come to that campus and we know that that'll, that'll just change a lot of people in that community. But this one, wait till you see what we get to do now. Let's take a look. In 2016, we formed a ministry partnership with the Mid-India Christian Mission, an organization that boldly proclaims Christ in a Hindu nation. Now, we have the unique opportunity to help plant 10 churches in northern and central India and to reach thousands of people in one of the world's most spiritually dark places. India. The birthplace of Hinduism, Buddhism, and Sikhism is the second most populated country in the world, but only 2.2% of its people identify as Christians. Among the minuscule Christian community in India, baptisms are held in secret to avoid dangerous and often deadly legal retaliation. 
Mid-India is incredibly effective in its outreach, reporting an average of 100 baptisms per church plant every three years. We are proud to partner with an organization that is so dedicated to reaching souls for Christ. Introducing Christ to the people of India gives them the opportunity to free themselves from the destructive, enslaving mentality of the caste system that dominates their part of the world. And Mid-India provides them with a holistic approach to the Christian religion through contextualized evangelism, education, and empowerment. Join with us as we continue the work in our world. Check this out in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. Actually, the translation says they have turned this world upside down. And now they're here causing problems as well. When your world has been turned upside down by the gospel, you can't help but be all in on this. You can't help it. We're asking you to help us start 10 churches in India. They're house churches with a pastor. And we're going to raise money for them to have a salary and a startup for the, the year there. And we're thrilled to be able to make a dent there. Hinduism has over one point, uh, almost 1.1 billion followers in the world. of the world's population, uh, that's crazy. 94% of them live in India. If Jesus turned your world upside down, this is a no-brainer. We have to be a part of that. Some of you have been Christians for a little while, or you know, since you were little, and you always dreamed of being a missionary. You always thought, oh man, that'd be so cool. Maybe a missionary came to your church and you thought oh I'd love to do that and whatever reason things got sidetracked or on the back burner and you never fulfilled that you never fulfilled that dream I truly believe that God put on your heart that very moment in fact I think we would even call it a calling but you could go with us to India or you could go with us to Mexico you know what will happen your heart will come alive so much so that you want to do that in Omaha as well, and in Benson, and in Fremont. Come alive this year with us. Go, go with us. Make a difference.